0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of EK On The Go. In our last episode, we met Christine Mahler of the Washington Wildlife and Recreation Coalition, who helped us explore Washington's wildest places. Today, our focus is on urban spaces, specifically the nooks and crannies throughout one of Seattle's oldest neighborhoods, Queen Anne Hill. Queen Anne is a vibrant collage of stately old Seattle mansions, charming hilltop parks, strolling boulevards beneath treed canopies, and polished urban conveniences, including some of the city's best restaurants. All of this perched above Seattle's grandest cultural institutions and most attractive employers, where extraordinary vistas and in four directions. Our Queen Anne tour guides today are Marga Rose Hancock and Rosalie Daggett, board members of the Queen Anne Historical Society. And stick around, later in the show, a special guest will show up to share a few ghost stories from when he lived on Queen Anne Hill And Rosalie will also explain an opportunity to explore a new project that allows for outdoor activities right here in nearby Fremont. Hi, Marga and Rosalie. Welcome.
1: Hi there. Hello.
0: Welcome to the Socially Distanced Studio. Um, You're both involved as board members on the Queen Anne Historic Society. So maybe we could start out, tell us a little bit about what the Queen Anne Historical Society is. When was it founded and what does it do?
1: Ooh, I don't know the founding date of the Historical Society. I came on board in 2017, I think, and I've lived on Queen Anne since 1972, so I've kept an eye on things there.
2: And then I was more recently recruited from Marga, actually, in the past uh, year and a half or two, and um, we had gone on several walks around Queen Anne ourselves, and she invited me to join one of the First board meetings that I attended and was soonly nominated to be a part of it. And yeah, just thanks to Marga.
0: We've met a lot of architects on the show and we concern ourselves with the built environment and architecture. So you both have a connection to the field of architecture. Can you explain a little bit about what you both do or have done professionally?
1: Well, I worked for 22 years as the director of the American Institute of Architects, so I know a lot of architects, and I've written a lot of biographies of architects, and I know more about architects than architecture. Rosalie has a
2: little better sense of architecture a little of both. So, so
1: I, what's your day
0: job, Rosalie? Yeah,
2: I'm a marketing manager actually at Mathune. Um, our office is on Pier 56 and along the waterfront in Seattle. And um, I came to architecture actually for the first time on a essentially exchange trip in Scotland. I was walking around the streets of Glasgow and stumbled upon a Charles René Macintosh building that I didn't know was his until I did a little bit of research and that sort of was the first time it clicked for me that I was interested, technically, and in, what was it
0: about that building that you liked?
2: Ah, uh, for me, it was just the grit and the character, and there I remember this blue glossy <laughs> kind of tile. It was actually the old um, Glasgow Press building that had like since retired. But I I was strolling down an alleyway, was taking pictures of it, and then later found out that it was an old Renee McIntosh building. So that sort of Prompted my research into his, and then one of my first jobs out of college was actually at Perkins and Will, helping them out, and then um, landed at Bassetti Architects prior to Mithun And Fred Bassetti is a known Northwest architect, um, and Marga's written a bit about him, too.
0: Well, let's talk about Bassetti for a minute. Marga, maybe you can share a little bit about who he is for our listeners who are not aware or who he was.
2: Well,
1: I think he had a major effect on the growth and development of Seattle. He served in a lot of public capacities, and his buildings stretch around the city.
2: He actually did some work at the Seattle Aquarium, um, right. the shark tank, <laughs> essentially, or the, the 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 dome that was out of concrete, um, which I think was pretty innovative at the time. It's since, I think... Uh, seen, I don't want to say seen better days, but, um, you know, time has passed and Methune, my current firm is actually, has done uh, renovation work at the Seattle Aquarium and, um, has future plans with the new work there.
0: So Rosalie, so you were at Bassetti for a while Mm -hmm. and then.
2: Yeah. So for about seven years, I was at Bassetti, uh, also in a marketing and design capacity and then, um, wanted to branch out and, explore more project typologies. And Methune sort of has the whole integrated breadth of work, um, but also the same civic mindedness and place in our communities. And so that moved me there about six years ago. So I've been at at Methune, which um, was originally founded actually by Omer Methune in uh, 1949. And the legacy carries on. And Omer was actually a professor at the University of Washington, for some time.
0: And you have offices, Methune has offices in LA, San Francisco, and Seattle? In
2: Seattle, yeah. So, Do you have
0: counterparts in those other areas, or do you kind of cover the full territory?
2: Um, so we're part of, I'm part of a marketing team, you know, and uh, a couple of marketing managers, and our marketing team is based in Seattle, but we do have cross-collaboration across all three offices, and even more so now that <laughs> we're all working from home and completely facile with, with all the technologies.
0: Great. And so, Marga, you have over the years published monographs on lots of different Seattle architects.
1: I've always enjoyed writing about people and architects tend to stay away from who they are. When you see, when you look at an architecture firm website, it says who we are. It says we have designed several major buildings in the greater, Seattle. you know, mm-hmm. they, they tend to hide themselves and focus on what on their product. And I like to understand them and and help the rest of the world see what makes architects do what they do.
0: Well great. So let's just kind of talk about Queen Anne. So you both met kind of almost as neighbors in Queen well,
2: Anne? Well, we actually met uh, through a Scripps event. We both went to Scripps College at different times, mm-hmm. but we were at a Scripps event and we were writing home on the bus and um we were chatting and had mutual connections and then all of a sudden we both stepped off the bus at the same time and realized we had the same bus stop and then we were strolling down the corner and turned the same corner and (laughs) turned out we were we were literally next door neighbors
0: i understand queen anne was once known as eden hill do you know anything about that
2: it got named in
1: part, I think, by developers of Queen Anne because they built houses on in the Queen Anne style okay. early. And okay. so I think that, that had a certain promotional aspect to it.
0: Okay, that makes sense. You had yeah. the, you know, all these different hills at the time, First Hill, Capitol Hill, Queen Anne Hill. Maybe there was a competition among the developers to name their hills.
1: Exactly.
0: You know? <laughs> but Queen Anne is really great because it's so connected to downtown Seattle.
1: Well, once they took down the Denny Hill in the middle and built the counterbalance in 1903, I think that started Queen Anne as a as a community connected so, to downtown by trolley cars. Great. So,
0: explain what the counterbalance is for people that live on Queen Anne. I think it's a common name, but what is that?
1: It meant that in those early days, the way a trolley got up the hill was that there was a an elaborate engineering system that had counterweights. So the weights went down and the cars went up the hill.
0: And that was up Queen Anne Hill, Queen Anne Avenue.
1: And some very, you know, distinguished people went up and built houses up there. Uh,
0: Will you tell us about a few of them?
1: Well, Highland Drive became, you know, a real... Kind of, it brought people up the hill. I think the Denny's lived there. Okay, um,
0: I know that there were some embassies. Some of those old mansions were one time embassies. Exactly. Yeah. At,
1: at different times. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I know the Olmsted brothers, the Olmsted architecture, had some sort of a say in the design of many of the neighborhoods in Seattle, but including Queen Anne. Yes. The, the boulevard that kind of loops around.
1: The boulevard and the and the lovely parks that I visit every day.
0: Well, good, and I understand that one of the earlier mentions that you've written about was the um, the Bartell, George Bartell Senior Mansion at 1517 11th Avenue West, and he was the, I guess he founded Bartell Drugs? The
1: original the original founder, and it's really a fairly modest house uh, compared to some of the, again, the, the brick mansions further up the hill.
0: Okay, yeah, and I think that they... He attended Queen Anne Elementary and Queen Anne High School. What about the elementary and high schools there, which I think are no longer schools, right? The Queen Anne Elementary is now condominiums and Queen Anne High School.
1: Yeah, schools have vanished.
0: <laughs> and then there was another famous person that you wrote about, Denise Johnson-Hunt.
1: Yeah, Denise had a role in the one of the, again, one of the first African-American women architects to make her way in the world of the American Institute of Architects and she she played a major role with the city of Seattle working with mayor Norman Rice another pioneer who lives on Queen Anne by the way
0: and he was a guest actually on our podcast
1: oh yeah, yeah. he knows a lot yeah
0: so yeah so hunt like she was born apparently she was born in Kingston Jamaica mm-hmm. and she was friends with Victor Steinbrook and and she organized the creation of the Betty Bowen viewpoint
1: Betty Bowen Viewpoint. And yeah. what is that? Betty Bowen Viewpoint is on the end of Highland Drive. Again, a cultural, another cultural activist in the, in the town. Um, she, I think, worked with the arts commissions and you like know, like Allied Arts, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very. Again, a dynamic figure who people listen to when you know, as an early woman in that cultural realm
0: so there's so many great parks on queen anne i'm just kind of curious what your favorites are you know wh- where do you like to go on queen anne if you were to go to a park
1: well i walk through upper Kinnear park every day every day on the way to somewhere and i have a holy throne in the middle of the park okay and, and i have a website that i've made about that park called the friends of upper Kinnear park or fuck ups <laughs> 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 because i see you know i in the, it In the the old days, I would see people regularly pass through the park, and we would greet each other and go have sit down and have a cup of coffee in Uptown or whatever.
0: Nice. And then what is Kinnear Park for our guests that maybe haven't been through there? Just describe its exact location on Queen Anne.
2: I guess it's technically the southwest side of Queen Anne as you're coming up Olympic Avenue. Right. So I would ride my bike up every day. Along right. Olympic and wave at Marga, passing through Kinnear Park. Yeah, there's an upper park and a lower park okay. that
1: are separated by a, a stairway. Okay. And again, part of the original Olmsted plan that scattered parks throughout our lovely city.
0: And Kinnear Park has sort of formal, stair, like a formal staircase, kind of a stone staircase, as I recall. Yeah, it's fairly grand. Yes. Yeah. Uh Rosalie, any favorite Queen Anne Park?
2: I didn't want to be a copycat, but Kinnear Park had to be it, I guess, because um where I lived was the Lomita Vista, which actually set was set atop Kinnear Park. So I was super lucky to have a south facing balcony that overlooked the the Queen Anne Greenbelt is what that tree line is, but it, it connects down to Kinnear Park and just the views of the water and the mountains. And actually one day during the pandemic, I was out on the balcony and managed to see a whale actually from the balcony down below in the water. So anything that has a whale in it tops my (laughs) park list, I guess, also.
0: Awesome. Well, I asked you both, as I do with all our guests, to bring in something physical that has some significance to you. So it looks like you brought some show-and-tell items.
2: Well, so I, I brought actually a photocopy of the... Lomita Vista, which was originally named the Rosita Villa apartments, and you can see the sort of Spanish revival style with the original like parapets and it was it's stucco, but you can also see the undeveloped sort of neighboring property. And my apartment was this shared balcony on the I guess also southwest top corner of the apartment and I just have so many fond memories living there. Uh, the it took a long time for me to <laughs> find a house that could compete with the Lomita Vista.
0: These are amazing old buildings. Yeah. You know. um, can you describe what the common areas, the lobby, what it was like?
2: So mm-hmm. the common area really was only this grassland just in front on the south end, and um, I'd say the 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 most common area was just this this uh, breezeway on the exterior. So so you'd see your neighbors coming and going originally before i moved in there was a community garden but that was sold and developed um, right before i moved in so i didn't have the the fond memories of that but no just just the this south facing uh, area with uh, rosemary bushes that were <laughs> overgrown and a culinary addition to to some meals so the tall ceilings, I think, were what initially drew me to it and the, the daylight that it got. It's actually pretty unusual, I'd say. I've lived in a few apartments in Seattle, um, migrating around in my life, and the entire unit essentially spans the whole floor plan so that you'd have the, the north-facing patio and then the south-facing balcony. And huh. I don't think I've seen another apartment that would be able to do that in, in Seattle that I, that I know of anyway. Um, and so in, on the hot summers, there were no, there was no air conditioning. So you'd just open up the back door and have awesome cross ventilation. And then I'd always talk to my coworkers in the architecture field. Why don't we do buildings like this anymore? So although older, um, it had lots of charm and quirk and, the tall ceilings for a relatively modest footprint made it feel so expansive. And then just the the balcony and outdoors connected space made it even more so. So, so I loved living there and uh, was close friends with the neighbor who shared our balcony space.
0: And you also brought in a purple ribbon.
2: I brought in a purple ribbon. So this purple ribbon actually was a gift from Marga oh.
0: um,
2: on one of her walks from Queen Anne to my office at Pier 56. She stopped by randomly and left this on my desk when I, was, I wasn't at the office at the time. But... Um, If you haven't noticed, uh, you probably can't see (laughs) due to the nature of this podcast, but Marga's wearing purple from head to toe, literally. (laughs) And um, she's my first and only purple friend. I've found out from her that there are other purple people, but Marga is my only purple person. And I actually keep this on my desk at home now um, because she's also um, the resident... The Queen Anne resident uh, litter picker upper Aww. on her way. So she um, or is trash just. trash lady. She just, no. She Very she sweet. she beautifies our our community, and without her, like there would be perhaps not the worst thing in the world to have a purple ribbon on the road, but um, she really is a a citizen of the community, and and my mother also was a trash picker upper, and I don't think people stop. And smell the trash <laughs> as much lately. People are just so busy on their way or in their zone with their earbuds in and, and mm. um Marga stops to and throwing s- stuff out the window of their car. <laughs> she stops to to clean up our community. So thank you,
0: Marga. That's wonderful. Yeah.
2: So that's why I brought this ribbon. Thank you.
0: <laughs> and Marga, what did you bring?
1: Well, I brought a copy of Queen Anne community on the hill published by the queen anne historical society back in the old days and it has a lot of people and places in the hill but much of this has gotten transferred to the website you know pretty much all of it
0: and then what's the website for our listeners uh,
1: www.qahistory.org
0: okay and I, and you've authored a lot of the pages on that website Yes, yeah.
1: I yeah. I have, and we've we've written, and you've
0: co-authored, yeah, We've co- collaborated yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yes,
1: and I also brought a copy of Newt Berger's book, The Space Needle, huh. the Spirit of Seattle, because you know the Seattle World's Fair of 1962, another major moment in the life of Queen Anne and the creation of that community. Because, uh, again, it brought a lot of people to Seattle and a lot of people to that neighborhood. And I really appreciate the Seattle Center and what it means to our city.
0: So Newt Berger is a journalist, right? He writes for Crosscut?
1: He does. And I had exchanged email with him today to invite him to, uh, to speak at a special event.
0: But rumor has it that he lived in the Space Needle, for, like when he wrote that book, I heard that he had actually lived there for a short period of time? He
1: did. I think he lived there for not just a short period of time, several months.
0: Huh. So, and you've written extensively also and studied the World's Fair from the perspective of the engineering, all the kind of new engineering techniques that were used to construct these buildings, right? Which were fabulously new at the time. Yes. Um, and very modernist you know, of the 60s?
1: Well, the architecture too. I mean, all of it, the architects and the engineers really showed off, you know, something about the intelligence and the creativity that created the Seattle community. On the original, I might note, Potlatch Meadows you know, which the, the, the native history of our place in, in Seattle and on Queen Anne, we, we need to appreciate and feel the strength there. And in fact, the design of the World's Fair by Paul Theory, who grew up in Nome, Alaska— has a lot of native influence. If you look on the walls and the, the armory itself, a giant teepee, huh And native imagery throughout the Seattle Center. And I
0: appreciate it. I saw the article on John Paul Jones that you wrote, who's a Native American architect and a fantastic architect and has done designed the Museum of the Native American in the Smithsonian. yeah, and uh, I think intellectual house at the University of Washington, his yeah. firm. Yeah. So, um I appreciate that acknowledgment.
1: Well, thank you for acknowledging him yeah. that too. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. He's absolutely fantastic. It's just amazing.
1: Well, the the natives lived at Potlatch Meadows and they didn't do a lot of climbing around on Queen Anne cuz, you know, just there wasn't much reason to go up there. I think they did some hunting and they fished in the sound and the lakes.
0: And so Potlatch Meadows again, what does that refer to?
1: It refers to the fact that the native population lived in the Pioneer Square area, and in there, there were a couple of different tribes, as I recall, and the one tribe lived at Potlatch Meadows, what we now call Seattle Center. Huh,
0: fascinating. Okay. I went to the Seattle Center when I was a boy driving up from Tacoma. I mean, it was kind of the quintessence of Seattle when we would come up and go to cultural events and whatnot. So I would imagine that just transformed the city. And also the life on Queen Anne was not the same because at the foot of it, instead of being kind of this somewhat suburb of downtown Seattle, it really became connected to this cultural, you know, the city's best ballet, theater,
1: right? whatnot. And the monorail connecting it to downtown, which they have a major upgrade going on on the monorail right now to in, enhance its transit
2: capacity.
1: Awesome.
0: So, Rosalie, we're going to have a special guest on the line, but was the apartment building that you lived on in Queen Anne designed by Thomas?
2: Yes, it was. And it actually has better views than the Harlan Thomas house.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, Harlan Thomas was an architect in Seattle yeah. that he designed. He apparently he traveled to Ceylon, India, Scotland in his like late 20s, early 30s and then came back and then designed the Sorrento Hotel, Rosalie's place, but also my, my cousin, Dan, who's joining us from... Dan, are you on the line? Yes. We're bringing a special guest in, Dan Elephant, or Uncle Dan, as my kids call him. Hey, Dan. Hi, everybody. Hello. We have Rosalie and Margo, who are experts in architecture and also in the history of Queen Anne architecture, and I thought of you, you know, as someone who also has lived on Queen Anne Hill, and you lived just in a Amazing place, and I just thought you would maybe take five minutes and tell us about where you lived when you were renting a, an apartment on Queen Anne Hill.
3: Sure, yeah. I had a, a blast living at, the uh, I think it was called the Chelsea Hotel.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, tell us how interesting was it. You know, it was it was a combination of both sort of the natural environs of, of a planted Seattle, you know, Kinnear Park across the street. Some of those trees were planted in the early 1890s. Um, beaches and Japanese firs and lindens um, the oldest and largest of their kind in Seattle Um, so sort of a arboretum up there in Queen Anne right across the street from this place the Chelsea Hotel you walk in and old tile and I guess I've already skipped the outside you walk in and there's these sort of motifs from I don't know what when that building was built it was, I think, the 1920s or 19-teens. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. And you walk up to the place and there's these sort of <laughs> funny nude uh, statues and fountains and such. And you walk in and uh, tiling and of all kind and a display showing you know people pulling up to the Chelsea Hotel and horses and carriage and top hats and canes. And it's like, whoa, I live here? Okay, And then, uh, you know, I had a had a friend. It was the manager there. So they showed me around a bit. And turns out it's got quite a haunted basement and it's essentially devoid of anything. Uh, People don't really go down there. I have no idea what it was. (laughs) It'd be interesting to talk to a historian to hear, you know, what actually happened in the hotel (laughs) basement.
0: Mark, do you know anything about this? I'm just
1: looking it up in the in the Queen Anne history on the hill, but the the I walk by the Chelsea every day and look up those magnificent stairs that take you up. But I didn't know about the basement.
3: Yeah, it's a wild place. It's kind of one of those things, you know. Reminds me of you know our family's uh, log cabin, you know, out there on the. On the peninsula where it's so oh, there's definitely a ghost out there there's <laughs> right definitely so a ghost what did the ghost do <laughs> it just gets that hair standing on the back of your neck and uh, i didn't really stick around to, to find out uh i didn't get a bad sense or a negative sense it was it was just uh yeah there are folks in limbo down there in that basement um there's life in the walls of that place i would walk into my apartment and you know the the brick it's all you know exposed brick just beautiful and all sorts of layers of various patchings and um you know even etchings and from that had to have been you know over a century old and some of these bricks and you know the conversion was quite odd uh, i had a uh loft that couldn't have been a part of the original hotel architecture but i remember you know trying to get my nephew up those steep that steep ladder and a bit of a sort of a precarious situation and each night i would carry my dog up the ladder uh, so we'd go to bed and there was always just life in the walls it was as if my my pup could kind of feel it uh, there's there's definitely an old an old component to that place.
2: Not just the neighbors. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Actually, I think quite a few young people live there.
0: Yeah, it was pretty youthful. It was 1906. I looked at um, Marga's article. So that was the year it was built, 1906. So it
3: is over a century old.
2: Yeah, and then the Lomita Vista was 1907.
3: Okay, that makes sense. And, you know, the trees were first planted in Kinnear Park across the street in, in 1892.
1: And, you know, they have chopped down some of the old ones. I, I have a sacred stump in Kinnear Park that I visit every day. And that park, again, originated in 1908. And this tree grew around the fence that still stands from 1908. Uh. And it means something about overcoming resistance to me. Huh. And I touch my head to it and let it flow through me. Again, the Friends of Upper Kinnear Park have good things to do.
0: What's the acronym for Dan's benefit?
1: Fuck Ups, Friends of <laughs> Upper Kinnear Park.
0: So, Dan, we'll let you get back to your evening in Newport, but thank you for joining us. Yes.
3: Sure, that was fun. Nice, uh, that was a nice part of my time in Seattle. I'll wave
1: at it when I go by tomorrow, in your <laughs> honor, Dan. Thank you.
3: And Seattle Touch misses you, Dan. Touch a beach for me. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay. <laughs> bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
1: So, I just saw in the, as I was flipping through the book to look at the Chelsea article, I saw a contemporary theater that originated on Queen Anne. And in its early days, when I had a subscription to go there, we only had two theaters in this town the Seattle Repertory Theater at the Seattle Center and Act Theater up the hill there.
0: And Act was sort of up the, um Or it still is. Is it still in the same location? It's just up that hill. uh, It's
1: uh, now called On the Boards. On the
0: Boards. Huh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I live in a 1964 house on Queen Anne, just just again. Yeah, tell us about your house. Up The street from... And again, another time of growth on the hill. So you see a lot of modern places all around the hill with flat roofs and stuff like that. And the World's
0: Fair kind of engendered a lot of that, I would imagine, people moving here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. So um, I also asked if you could share a place that matters for you in the Pacific Northwest, Seattle, you know, as our guest, or anything come to mind, any specific place that you especially love?
1: I love the University of Washington campus too, speaking of World's Fairs of 1908, when they built that site. I had my first job when I came to Seattle at the University of Washington as a secretary in the Department of Urban Planning, where I met my husband and lots of architects who had their place just in the same building. So that's how I got started off in the in the series that brought me to AIA Seattle. Okay.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the architects that we've mentioned also were professors on and off at the University of Washington. Indeed. So yeah, it's kind of a community.
2: Yeah.
0: Rosalie, any place that matters to you that you want to share?
2: So for me, having been born in Seattle and traveled around the world too, I always come home because of I guess it's three things, the water, the mountains, and the sun when it comes out. And so for me that place would be like the convergence of those three things. So wherever I can be where I can see the ha- have those things in my in my uh, sensory path, that's what, where What that's, are
0: those three things again?
2: uh, the water, the mountains and the sun when it comes out. Okay. So the, for me, it's, it's when you, I can stare out, out and experience that. And, and I, I haven't found another place quite like that. Uh huh.
1: On my daily walk, just after I pay my homage to the throne around the, that I mentioned, I walk You know, another 50 yards, and there's a little point there where I can see Mount Rainier. Another view that represents the strength and resilience of Seattle and our place here.
0: Well, thank you both for joining us. To learn more about Queen Anne Hill's history, you can go to the website that has many contributions from Marga and Rosalie. And again, that URL is?
1: qahistory.org.
0: And also, Marg, I know, frequently contributes to HistoryLink.org, which is a fantastic resource online of history about places and people in Seattle. And you can see their work there. And then, Rosalie, you were um, I know mithun is about to complete a project.
2: It is complete. We were just photographing it the other day. Um, the Seattle Bouldering, Bouldering Project has a new location in Fremont, and it's a adaptive reuse of an existing building. So now it's a, a community space where people can go and climb and be, it, he- be healthy. Is
0: it indoor or outdoor? It's
2: indoor, yeah. Oh, great. It's perfect for yeah. our rainy winters.
0: Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Join us next time when our guests will be children's book author and Seattleite Mark Holzen, who's recently published A Ticket to the Pen Transports the Reader to another beloved Seattle neighborhood, the Rainier Valley, where a young fan of the Seattle Rainiers scores a ticket to the ball game and in the process visits lots of landmark stores and buildings, including Boracini's Bakery and Mutual Fish and, and more. So look forward to meeting Mark next time. If you're a baseball fan, you especially won't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to EK On The Go. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have a place that matters to you and want to share, please get in touch. Until next time, this is Edward Krigsman. Thank you.